This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Every day we hear Christian catchphrases, a kind of Christianese, if you will, made up of slogans, compressed ideas about God or faith, that we drop into everyday conversations about life. Catchphrases like, the devil made me do it, or Jesus, take the wheel. And after all, what would Jesus do? What do we really mean when we say that? Well, let's take a look at some common Christian catchphrases and what the Bible has to say. Well, you know, one of the tricky things about catchphrases is that they are so memorable, they're so portable, that we just use them again and again without even thinking about it, right? They just kind of sort of stick with us and follow us around wherever we're going. Uh, For example, and help me out here, uh, no pain, no gain, right? Um, You know, uh, it's so easy, a child... Oh, about 50% on that one, uh-oh. And um, what, 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 what about, uh, it's raining cats and, uh, you know, I talk about a catchphrase that we use without ever thinking about what in the world does this mean, <laughs> or how do we get there, right? But in reality, being memorable, being portable, that's just part of what it means to actually be a catchphrase. And as we use a catchphrase, or we use a slogan, you know, just over and over again, it begins to become a staple of how we talk about things and how we also think about things. And over time, catchphrases, they can become more and more detached from how they were originally used. And this morning, the Christian catchphrase, the axiom, if you will, that I want us to take a look at is one that I think fits that bill perfectly. It's probably one that, that if you're a Christian in here that you've used before, you, you, you've maybe been exhorted by somebody else to remember uh, before at some other time. And, and so realizing that it's a fairly frequent one, I, I recognize we might be stepping on a few more toes this morning and going through this, or at least a stronger likelihood that that might happen. Uh, but you know, as that other famous catchphrase goes, you can't make a cake without breaking a few eggs, right? So we're going to jump into this one this morning, not with the intent to step on any toes, but to examine something more closely. And the catchphrase I want us to examine today is let go and let God. Let go, and let God. This is a catchphrase. It's used a lot. And I think in just kind of glancing at it on the surface, we might wonder, well, what's so bad about that? Well, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, uh, after all, who hasn't gotten some Bible bookmark with that, like scrawled across it or walked through Hobby Lobby and seen some, you know, wall decor just with that emblazed on it, right? Um, it's so common. And we don't want to be accused of making mountains out of molehills and going after something fairly benign. But then again, what do we really mean when we say, let go and let God? What do we really mean when we say that? Well, perhaps, taken in the best sense, someone might be using it to encourage someone else to, you know, like, stop worrying, repent of that, 
depend on God for the outcome of some hard situation that they're going through, are in control of. That could be how we're using it. However, many other times, this little axiom is taken far more at face value. And it's been used to say something quite different. See, laced in this saying is actually a certain view of sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which a a Christian grows up. uh, The process in which they are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And sanctification is what's on the line here. Although this motto has become more and more detached over time, it actually originated out of a 19th century uh, theological movement known as the Keswick Movement. And granted, with this movement, there, there were all kinds of really good things that came out of this. But I'm not sure this particular method of sanctification, an idea of it, was one of them. See, let go and let God was the idea that a Christian just needs to stop trying. They just need to quit. They need, they need to move out of the way and allow God instead to dramatically intervene in their spiritual growth. And this view says that, that when you truly finally do that and you actually whew, let go, then things will go well for you. As uh, you give God permission to work and to transform you and your circumstances. In some people's version of let go, let God kind of thinking, it will release you and your faith to that next level. And in fact, for many, it will make you victorious over all of sin in your life right now so that you have assurance and faith and freedom and you can live out of that place of complete victory. And to have that kind of victory, you just need this breakthrough moment of finally letting go and letting God in. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Uh, You know, I wouldn't be surprised if some version of this isn't something that you have actually attempted yourself, or perhaps even a way that you've often looked at growing as a Christian, you know, where you were perhaps struggling in your faith, You're in the midst of some kind of hardship that you're dealing with, or perhaps you're dealing with maybe some kind of temptation. Uh, Maybe you're stuck in an addiction with pornography or alcohol or drugs or just something else uh, that's sinful that you've fallen in love with, right? And you thought, if I could just finally surrender it, if I could just finally give this problem to God, if I could just finally release it and really give God permission or allow him to take this from you, that then you'd finally be free. You'd finally have victory. If you could just have that kind of experience. If you could just finally let go and let God. Some version of that sound familiar? Well, let's consider this in light of a couple of passages of Scripture. As we do, I want us to consider two problems that this advice presents and one solution to embrace. Two problems, one solution. First, the problems. First problem that this creates is actually an overconfidence in ourselves. An overconfidence in ourselves. The first problem in trying to apply this catchphrase, this method of sanctification, is with who is doing all the letting. I, in this catchphrase, am giving myself permission to stop, and I am giving God Almighty my permission to start, right? 
there's a problem there. And the first problem with this idea of sanctification, it boils down to then this overconfidence in ourselves, and it leads to a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. Kind of reminds me of that old uh, Bob Newhart sketch where he's a, he's a counselor and this young woman comes into his office and after he discloses, you know, that his fee is, you know, $15 uh, for the first five minutes. And, but, you know, after that it's free, uh, but he doesn't make change and all that, those kinds of things. And she shares with him her big problem that she has a phobia of being buried alive. And he says, well, I've got two words for you. Should probably be able to remember them, right? And what is his advice to her? Stop it. Perfect. You guys are working well with me today. Thank you. Right? Stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. Right? That's his advice. He doesn't want to get into why she's got this fear. He doesn't want to get into how to actually stop it. Just stop it. And I think this kind of advice of let go produces a confusion and a frustration that's similar. Let's think about this idea from the context of John 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He's using the imagery of of a vine. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It means you're saved. Verse 4, he says, abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Now, let's make a couple observations about this text in light of the idea. First, how much permission does the branch give to the vine dresser? None. Second, how much permission does the branch give to the vine? None. What instead is the branch told to do? To abide in the vine, which is Christ. Abide means to remain in. This is the idea of submitting to the way that the vine is going, right? It's looking at the vines growing this way, and I am submitting to growing that way. Uh, We're trying to produce this. I'm trying to produce this too then. It's not letting go. It's not stopping. And actually throughout this discourse of Jesus here, Jesus again and again, he calls on his disciples to obey him. And third, finally on top of this, the branch as it submits does what? It grows. Apart from the vine, it can do nothing. But remaining in the vine, it can do something. It can be fruitful. Listen, church, let go and let God creates an overconfidence in ourselves as it unintentionally places all the weight of sanctification back on us as the one who is giving all the permission rather than doing all the submitting to the process and the means that the vine and the vine dresser call for. So naturally, for someone trying to implement the first half of this let go It becomes increasingly frustrating and confusing. Jared Wilson, imagining a dialogue of someone trying to follow this let go advice, he writes, so what do I do to let go? The recipient of this advice may ask, well, replies the advice giver, you let go. Yes, but what does that look like? It means you stop trying to control things. 
but I'm already not controlling things. No, you're trying to control it by not letting go. So I'm not supposed to do anything? No, the thing you have to do is to let go. <laughs> you can see how someone can become tied up in knots over attempting this. And although this scene may seem funny or Bob Newhart saying stop it again and again can seem humorous, the reality is, is that the confusion and the frustration that this idea has brought to many Christians is anything but funny. J.I. Packer, a famous theologian, experienced his own frustration with attempting to finally let go. And later on, he wrote this. All I knew was that the expected experience was not coming. The technique was not working. Why not? Well, since the teaching declared that everything depends on consecration being total, the fault had to lie in me. So I must scrape my inside again to find whatever maggots of unconsecrated selfhood still lurk there. I became fairly frantic. See, the first problem with let go and let God is a thinking that provides an overconfidence in ourselves. And one way or another, I wonder if you can relate. If you've expected, uh, experienced the frustration and confusion about how to grow in sanctification, and desiring a dramatic, one-time spiritual experience that would offer freedom. I know from personal experience that, that I can. It wasn't from advice to let go, but it was actually from a faulty understanding of surrender. I know the disappointment from not having that kind of experience, or at other times the disappointment from the realization, and don't miss this, that even upon having an important spiritual experience, that it's never final. The real work of sanctification, of seeing our affections, our thoughts, our words, our actions be conformed to Christ, it goes on. An experience might be great as it applies some means of grace, but it goes on. It moves forward into the daily progression that's so key. So friends, with this first problem, we need to recognize that we are employing the wrong means. This simple let go mentality, the stop it mentality of sanctification ultimately tries to put us in the driver's seat as the one who's doing all the letting rather than all the conforming, submitting, and obeying. But it will end up with us in the disappointment seat as we keep trying to resist the means and process for sanctification that God employs. And so now, before we unpack some of that process and means, let's make sure we've touched on and clarified our second problem um, that we are starting to look at here. And the second problem is an underconfidence in God's means. An underconfidence in God's means. The second problem with this catchphrase is how it backfires on a Christian as it creates this underconfidence. See, when we have a view of sanctification that calls for us to let go, to surrender as in stop and to get out of the way, rather than a view of surrender and repentance as submitting to the will and to the direction of another, it leads us to a kind of avoidance. Um, in this view, there's no uh, role for you to play except to try and remove yourself from getting in the way so that God can now come and take over. And so the second problem with let go and let God, it boils down to this call for avoidance rather than obedience 
out of an underconfidence in God's means for sanctification. And this can really undermine a Christian's growth as it eventually leads to laziness. Laziness. When we consider this, though, in light of two uh, passages of Scripture, it really comes to light. Uh, First, listen to how the Apostle Paul described his own sanctification in Philippians 4. He says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A couple observations here. Because you and I, we need to see a picture of what does abiding in Christ look like in action. And we have it here. And it's not someone who's trying to stop and to just get out of God's way. That's not the picture. Rather, we see how Christ has a purpose in those difficulties in sanctifying Paul. The part of his means of teaching, of growing, of conforming Paul through these means of hardship. Also, Paul doesn't seem to lack, by the way, any confidence that God is not with him in the midst of those hardships, in the midst of these difficult situations, supplying him the strength to endure. Paul grows in his faith as he submits to God's means for his growth, both internally and externally. Now listen, listen to one more. How does Paul describe his ministry then? Colossians 1, him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And don't miss this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Again, Paul is confident in God's plan for his sanctification and for sanctification in others' lives too. He sees God's means being put to work through him to accomplish the sanctification in the lives of others that's needed. And note how is he's dependent on God's strength and power to what? To then toil and struggle. Now church, let's be honest. When we hear let go and let God, it doesn't sound that bad. In fact, it sounds very spiritual almost wise, and very inviting. It reminds me kind of that line that Obi-Wan Kenobi tells Luke Skywalker as he's trying to blow up the Death Star. Remember, he's there, he's in the cockpit, and, and he hears Obi-Wan's voice saying, let go, Luke, let go. Trust your instincts, right? Well, listen, it worked out for Luke, but it's not going to work out for us. <laughs> it won't work out for us. Uh, In fact, over time, this underconfidence in God's means for our sanctification, it actually leads us towards laziness. It eventually cultivates a resistance to obeying God's commands altogether. Think of it this way. Imagine stepping into the shop of an expert craftsman. Well, upon stepping in, you might be there and thinking, man, I'm ready to roll my sleeves up. I want to get to work. As my kids say when they see me doing something, I just want to build something, Dad. You know, <laughs> let me in here, right? Let me get going. But if somebody was to instead catch you in that moment and say, hey, sit down. Stay on the sidelines over there and just watch because, you know, you're going to get in his way. What might happen? Well, while disappointed at first, you probably would sit down and you'd start watching and you'd start realizing, man, this is actually a lot harder than I thought. 
This is a lot more complicated than I thought. And this looks like this is going to take a long time to accomplish what's going on here. After a while, it might start to seem like a good idea to just stay on the sidelines. Let's not get involved. After all, this expert craftsman here, man, he seems to be doing a good job without me, right? Well, if that went on long enough, would you really be surprised that if you came back that if you found the guy playing with the tools, being silly or dangerous, maybe stupid, that uh, you'd be surprised by that at all? That he's not really even paying any attention to what the craftsman is saying and doing? After all, he heard what sounded like some very sound advice to let go and let the expert handle it. Church, I think more of us have bought into some kind of version of let go and let God than we've realized. We've bought into a version of Christianity that excuses laziness. And we may or may not have used that phrase at all. But really practically, when we've bought into laziness in our spiritual lives, here's what it begins to look like. It first begins to look like someone who starts slacking in their own personal, private, spiritual disciplines. It doesn't start out here on the outside. It starts internally as I start to just kind of let those things go. And then that begins to move forward. We begin to become more and more susceptible to worldly temptations of power, comfort, and significance. As we do that, we stop declaring war on our sin, and we become more and more comfortable with its presence in our lives. We let it just hang out and live in the corner for a while. And as that kind of laziness starts to take its hold, we become increasingly judgmental then of other Christians. Surprisingly, what we begin to do is we we start accusing them of being judgmental and legalistic as we know that there's sin in our life that we're uncomfortable with. And eventually what we start to do is then we push farther and farther away from them. We push farther and farther away from other Christians. That's what it looks like. And church, laziness is a powerful force in anyone's life. And it might look different in your life than in the person sitting next to you. But watch out for a temptation of having an underconfidence in God's means to sanctify us. It'll breed laziness. And so if we understand some of the problems then with this catchphrase, we should turn to what the solution is. How do we step away from a view that's overly confident in ourselves and is underconfident in God's means? Well, the solution we need to head towards is back in the direction of abiding. Back in the direction of abiding. Cooperation with God in obedience is what leads to assurance. That's the direction. Church, salvation is a work that is of completely of God by his grace alone that we receive through faith alone. And that faith is a living faith. It's like the little sapling out in your front yard. It's not like the fake ficus tree in your office. Two very different things. And that faith, it leads a Christian into cooperating with God by obeying him. And that doesn't mean that a Christian is no longer dependent on God's grace. No, they are. But as Dallas Willard once pointed out, grace isn't against effort, but earning. As they do as a Christian does. They have greater assurance of their salvation as they see the results from obeying rather than confusion or frustration or laziness. 
So let me show you what this cooperation looks like from Philippians chapter 2. We have Paul writing again, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, and here it is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is what cooperation with God looks like. Note what it doesn't say here. He doesn't say to work for your salvation, but to work out your salvation. And note, who else is working here? You're not alone. God is at work here too. And this is uh, the person that we are invited to follow. Um, Also note, how is this getting worked out? Is it through letting go? No, it's actually called to be worked out with fear and trembling, meaning to take this work as a serious and awesome responsibility and so to afford it all diligence. Not because it's all on you, by the way, but because of who you're working with. That's why we carry it out, with fear and trembling. And on that, Paul is not encouraging us to head off into the ditch that's on the other side of let go and let God, a a ditch of activism that's saying, well, God helps those who help themselves, so you're on your own. No, he says that God is at work in him already, and he calls us to work in cooperation with him. And here's what happens when we do. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain process of sanctification through cooperation that Paul calls for here. It doesn't lack hard work, but it also doesn't lack beautiful results. Far from a a cynical or confused state of let go and let God that leaves us in gnats, we have instead the hope of shining as lights in the world without any fear of our salvation, with assurance that God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. I know in my own life, you know, one example of how this cooperation has played out recently uh, has involved the work of the church plant. Um, when I was first starting to press into this work, there was a string of nights where I would wake up at 2 or 3 a.m. with fear, just kind of gripped by fear. And since I'd be wide awake, <laughs> I'd get up, and what I'd do is I'd pray, and I would worship, And I'd remind my heart of the truths, the truths that I'm not alone, that God is with me, and that I'm to be obedient. See, that's how we use the means of holding fast to the word for dealing with our fear. And the next morning, I would need to get up, I would need to serve, I would need to work to give my best, but not out of fear of failure. Not out of a fear of failure. I'd need to work with fear and trembling, but I would need to work out of that place of trust that I am working with God who is working all things out for my good. Knowing that God is at work changes how we work. 
And, you know, things are going well with the church, but I, I still need to walk by faith in this struggle and in obedience while leaving the outcome in God's hands. The process goes on. And as we look to him for the means of our growth, we can begin to shine. And friends, I, I don't know where you might be at with the struggle or wondering about the outcome of some kind of situation that you'd rather not be in, that is outside of your control. But I can imagine you trying to deal with that fear in a way that says, how can I just get out of this? Or looking for some kind of a spiritual experience to just remove it and put you someplace else. But friend, I'm here to encourage you not to avoid the struggle that God uses to sanctify us, but to use the means that God has graciously provided for us. What are they? Well, in the passages that we looked at, a couple of them, first and foremost, though, we always see that it's the means of obedience. That is understanding what God has commanded us to do and what not to do and putting that into practice. Related to that is holding fast to the word, meaning a serious engagement with the scriptures of maybe memorization or study. Also related to this is listening to accurate and wise teaching from the word. And finally, we touched on God's strengthening of us internally for obedience and ministry. Practically, that looks like a prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit to come and to fortify our hearts. These are the means, many of which we've taught on here before, that God has graciously given us and uses these in our lives to grow us. And our cooperation with these insists then that we are neither overly confident in ourselves nor underconfident in God's means. And it moves us from this place of let go and let God to a place of trust and obey as we embrace the solution of cooperation. Let's pray about that. Father, we don't want to rush into our words lightly. We're reminded that your word tells us that we are invited to come to you in prayer. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation to cooperate with the means that you've given us. Lord, some of us in this morning, we're convicted that we need to look to the means of confession, that we need to look to the means of inviting another believer to pray for us, that we may experience the kind of healing in our life that we need. God, we're convicted that we, we, we can be lazy in our faith and that we need you to bring to light those areas where we have stepped aside and we've said, no, I've got this all by myself. I'm not interested in cooperating with you, God. God, some of these places of laziness in our life where we've allowed sin to take up residence in our souls, we need you to come to convict us that we might turn and use the means of repentance that you have given us that we may live and shine as lights. I would invite you to do the work in us this morning, that you take the seeds of your word, plant them deep in our hearts, that we may see the living faith, that we might see the abidance in you, that we might see a fruitful walk with you result 
as we trust and obey. We pray that in your blessed name. Amen.